And so we're learning about grace and how God works even before Jesus came. And so let's read it and see how God cares for ordinary people, even those that the world considers nobodies. This, this is Ruth chapter 2. This is God's word. It says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. And then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you shouldn't take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left fa your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward give, be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from, some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, this, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. 
and she lived with her mother-in-law. This is God's word. He gives it to us because he loves us, and it's absolutely true. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we look at this text, that you would show us what we are like. That we are vulnerable, we are outsiders, in need of your grace and your kindness. And at the same time, I pray you would use this to open our hearts towards the needs of our neighbors. Make us generous as you have been to us, for Christ's sake, and for the spread of the gospel. That we might take your good news across the street and around the world. We pray that you would do this by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever felt like you were on the outside, like you didn't, didn't belong here? You know, Sesame Street has that uh, funny thing with kids. One of these is not like the other. And uh, there's some really cute pictures you can find if you Google it online. Um, one was one's with four little boys dressed at, at Halloween, and one kid missed the Batman memo. And so he's dressed as Robin, and everyone's just looking at him funny. Or, um, or it's funny when you see, think about it like that, but when you are on the outside, when you know you don't fit in, it's not a comfortable feeling. In seminary, I had to, one of the assignments, we had to go to a mosque. We had to attend a service. It was part of our requirements, which I would encourage you. I think there's probably a mosque in Albany and in Schenectady. It, it's a great way to get to know what other people are like. But I say that knowing it's, it's a scary thing to go in and say, I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know if they're going to accept me. If I don't know how the service is going to go, what if I do it wrong? Um, what if I offend them? What should I wear? It's a completely foreign experience. You know, we went in. Fortunately, I had one Muslim friend, so I called him and said, help. <laughs> and he was kind to, to escort us, but you know, the, the women would go to their part of the, the service, and the men had their part of the service. Uh, the only uh, white Americans there were, were myself and a couple other seminary students who had the same assignment. The rest were either from, from another country, a Muslim country, or African-Americans who've converted. So we're outsiders. Um, they would sing and pray in, in Arabic and then read it in English. Um, the whole sermon was aimed at us. <laughs> Instead of faith in Jesus, it was faith in Muhammad. It's like, man, you could have heard this in a Baptist church. He turns out he used to be a Baptist minister. Um, but the whole point is, is, you know, when it's there, it's just not comfortable. I'm an outsider. And this, this is what Ruth has signed up for, for the rest of her life, to be known as Ruth the Moabite, as you read. That's what she was described as repeatedly. We work hard to avoid that feeling of being the oddball, of being different at all costs. And yet Ruth, out of love for her mother-in-law, has signed up to be different. To, to cross cultural boundaries for the sake of her mother-in-law and for the sake of the God that she has now put her faith in. Right? She's an outsider. She's going into a Hebrew world. She's a woman living in a man's world. She's a widow living in a world where marriage and family define success. She's childless moving into a community where your children and your family are what people talk about. She's a Moabite going into a Hebrew world where in their scriptures it says a Moabite is not welcome to worship. They're not welcome in church. 
And for Ruth, it's amplified even more because she's a woman without a man's protection in a world that is violent and hostile. I mean, you heard it all the way through this chapter. Don't go to any other field or you're going to be assaulted. This is the days of the judges when horrible things happen if you don't have somebody to defend you. So she's a vulnerable outsider. But she's also a vo- uh, an unappreciated outsider, even if she goes home with, to, to Bethlehem with Naomi, because right at the end of chapter 1, remember Naomi's bitter statement. She says, don't call me pleasant, don't call me Naomi, call me bitter. I left full and came back empty. But she's not empty. Ruth is standing right next to her. She just... She gets no respect. (laughs) And I know from being a pastor and people telling stories and my own paranoia as just being human, (laughs) right? To some extent, no matter how long you've been a Christian, you still feel this way. Like, I'm not sure if I fit here. Maybe it's because you're in a different stage of life. You're older and you don't fit in with the young people. Or you're younger and you don't fit in with the old people. You're single and you're not married. You're married and you're not single. You're a Democrat living in a Republican world, or vice versa. You know, the the categories. When you walk into these situations, I mean, this is how people feel when they come to church. Will they like me? Will I be accepted? What can I do to be noticed? Because I want to be noticed, I need to be noticed, but I don't want to be embarrassed. This is the world of being an outsider. This is Ruth's world. The Bible's word for it is a sojourner, an alien. A stranger. It depends on how your, your Bible translates it. Right. Everybody feels this way to some extent. Even King David, a man after God's own heart, you can read this in Psalm 119, 19. David says, someone who knows God, who is a Christian, he says, I'm a stranger on the earth. God, teach me your ways. And so as we come and we're going to look at Ruth's experience and how God cared for her through, through Boaz, right. just, just think about this with me. Ruth has made this amazing confession of faith. She's bound herself to Yahweh. She has said, God, you are my God, and, and you, I will be part of your people. She's in, theologically, we could say. God has accepted her, forgiven her sins. But socially, as she walks into Bethlehem, she's very much on the outside. She's vulnerable, unappreciated. And because of our experience of being on the outside and our own fear of being uh, rejected, the Bible is very clear that we ought to have great care and compassion for other strangers, for visitors, for new people, for foreigners, literally. This is something we're supposed to pay attention to. I'll prove it to you from the Scriptures. And not only are we worried about being accepted, but we're called to care about how accepted other people are. But listen to these scriptures from from the Old Testament. Leviticus 19. There's good news in Leviticus. It says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, and neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You should leave these for the poor and for for the stranger, the sojourner. Why? I am the Lord your God. Or 1933, when a stranger comes and lives with you in your land, don't do him wrong. 
Treat the stranger who stays with you just like the native among you. Love him as you love yourself because you were strangers in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. See, written, written into the very fabric of God's law was a deep concern for the weak, the vulnerable, the outsiders, the strangers, the foreigners. He would say, love the outsider. Care for them, protect them, provide for them. The reason is because I, the Lord God, have identified myself with them. That how you treat the poor, how you treat the outsider is a reflection of how you understand who God is and how he treats you. I'll prove it to you from Proverbs, Proverbs 14, 31. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults God, his maker. I mean, you've all seen the, the videos of the little kid being bullied and all of a sudden the big brother comes. It says, you mess with him, you mess with me. That's what God says about the poor, the widow, the orphan, the stranger, the foreigner. And so this is what we're entering into, is that at the same time as we are dealing with our own sin, our own uh, alienation, socially, physically, just trying to live our own lives, we have God's law telling you that we need to care as much about our own acceptance we should care that much for our neighbor's acceptance. They're welcome. We're called to love our neighbors as ourselves, but also to bring in outsiders, to protect them, to look out for them, to meet their needs. And so this is what we're going to learn then for as we look at Ruth and Boaz. It's, it's their story, but it, we're also called to see ourselves in this. This is, how, this is how life is supposed to work. So let's think a little bit more deeply about being Ruth's vulnerability because it really is an amazing thing that she signed up for because to be an outsider to be a Moabite to be to be a foreigner to be an immigrant it's it's by by the name itself stranger it means you're starting out socially alienated on the outside and in the Hebrew context if you you're also starting out spiritually alienated because God came and specifically revealed himself to a particular group of people in a particular place. I mean, there was, there was some diversity, but generally it was mostly one people group. Right, so the chapter here begins, if you look at the scriptures, with Ruth volunteering to go out and say, I'm going to provide food for Naomi. Naomi is too depressed, too beaten up by life to go out and help her, apparently. I mean, Ruth is going out by herself. And what the way... Israel, the laws were set up is, is the fields were open. You're supposed to have the freedom as a stranger, as the poor, as the needy, to walk into a field and glean, pick up, pick up the scraps on the edges of the field. It was their ancient welfare system. I mean, you had to provide for yourself. To some extent, you had to take the initiative to go out and get food for yourself. But all the landowners were commanded, it was written in the law, care for the poor, make space for them. Of course, this is the days of the judges when people weren't noble or kind. Uh, it's a jungle out there, and so Naomi, or Ruth is saying, I hope somebody will be kind to me. I hope somebody will be gracious, they'll have favor, and they'll let me, they'll let me glean on their field. They'll let me pick up grain. Right, and so you, you picture this. This is Ruth signing up to work the, the night shift in the ghetto. 
to walk home every night exposed in a dark alley to get home to provide food for her mother-in-law. She's in danger. She could very likely be taken advantage of. And on top of that, you think about where Ruth is on the social ladder. I mean, in, in a man's world, in, in Israel, the king was at the top, the, the tribal leader. I mean, we're in the days of the judges. They didn't have a king yet. Uh, you would have had the fathers. You would have had the sons. You would have had the wife, then the daughters. Then you would have had the male and female servants of, of the Hebrew uh, ethnicity. And then you would have had the male and female foreign servants. And then you would have had the aliens, and then you would have had the females and the males, strangers. So you picture Ruth, she's all the way at the bottom, all the way on the outside. She's at the bottom, she's in danger, she's exposed. She needs somebody to notice her. And so Libby Groves, a uh, Hebrew commentator, says it this way. This is, how, this is how their world worked, is what I want you to see, that the presence of a male represented more than protection because if a male was with her, it said she was respectable and somebody, that somebody actually cared about her. And she should be treated with respect. If she was alone, it was saying that either she was a woman of loose morals and shouldn't be respected, or that the family didn't care about her enough to send out a male chaperone. I, mean, I know how that sounds in our, to our ears, but this is their world. But if she, had, if she goes out alone, everyone would assume that there's nobody to back her up if they mess with her. Because if you have a family, if you have a whole bunch of older brothers and fathers, then they're going to come take vengeance, so you shouldn't mess with them. Right. So if she's alone, you probably didn't have to care about her. You could probably harass her without any retribution. This is what Ruth is doing as she goes out to provide for Naomi. Right. She's physically alienated. She's hungry. She's poor. Life has beaten her up. She's socially alienated. She's not welcome. She's, she's going to be looked at with suspicion. People are going to squint at her. Right. Even the nicest people who know her story, she's still a Moabite. And she knows what it's like to be spiritually alienated. And as we talked about Naomi, right, she, she felt like God's hand was against them. Ruth needs help. And so here's what this teaches us. Ruth shows us what life is like for human beings in a fallen world. Right. To be physically alienated, to be relationally alienated, to be spiritually alienated. I mean, all these things should sound familiar because this is life east of Eden. This is, li this is what Genesis 3 said would happen. It said that there's going to be thorns and thistles and life's going to be hard and you're going to, from dust you came to dust you'll return. Things are just going to fall apart. It's going to be difficult. You're going to be physically, you're going to physically struggle. There will be poor, there will be hungry, the hunger, that these things will just happen. You're going to have relational difficulties according to Genesis 3. I mean, it's described in the context of a marriage which is supposed to be the most intimate, the most safe, uh, type of relationship, but it says your desire, women, is going to be against your husband, and he will rule over you. Just saying, you're going to have a clash of wills. And you see that in all of our relationships. That even in the what's designed to be the sweetest relationship, sometimes we still feel alone. 
and spiritual alienation, right? God kicked him out of the garden, put up a sword and said, you're not welcome here. And, it, and from that point on, every human being, to some extent, just felt cut off. Right? Right? That no human relationship can actually fill that hole. That's what it means to be a, a, a stranger on the earth. We are Ruth, is what I want you to see, vulnerable and outsider, alienated in the need of somebody to notice us. And if you think about this, it means that you will meet people in the world, or maybe you are that person, that you just cannot get through life without help. Right? What did Ruth do to get in this situation? She got married and her husband was taken away. And for her to survive, you can't just say, do the right thing. Pull yourself up by your bootstrap. She needs somebody to have kindness towards her. There are people like that in our community. There are people like that all over the world. And really, in the history of the world, if you study it, that's, that's most people. Poverty, I read from, from the Cato Economic Institute, is mankind's nat natural condition. As Americans, we ask, why are people poor? But the real question we should ask is, why are we so comfortable? And God says, how you look at the poor, not only is going to reveal to you how you see yourself, it's going to reveal to you how you understand God, how you, what you really think of him. Because if you treat the poor like dirt, that's telling God that you're, gonna, you're treating him like dirt. And so let me just ask you, as you think, as we enter into this, how do you see the poor? The weak, the needy. Is our solution, it, I want you to see this is complex. Because to meet physical needs, to meet social needs, to meet spiritual needs takes immense amount of wisdom takes more than relationships. It takes a system. I mean, it's complex. So how do you see these people? Are you saying, well, I'm not going to help them unless they deserve it? We have compassion on Ruth because we know her story. We've heard it. Do you ask, take the time to wonder why that person's on the street? Maybe they are there because they made bad decisions. Maybe they are there because they were born in a particular place at a particular time and they just struggle to put food on the table. Right. So I want you to see Ruth needs somebody to notice her. That, that's what she says as I go out. Somebody needs to have favor and it's the Hebrew word for grace. Somebody has to treat me better than I deserve. And so let's look at it. This is where Boaz steps in. All right. Beautiful, you can see this three ways. Boaz notices her. Who's that woman? Wh who does she belong to? What's her story? Why is she here? So he saw her. This is how you love somebody. You have to notice them. It starts really simply. Boaz listened. He knows her story. And he says in verse 11, I've heard everything that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. All of Bethlehem is just rustling. Right? The gossip chain. All the women are talking. <laughs> Everybody's talking. Look at what Ruth has done. And then, in awe of her sacrifice, Boaz says, I'm going to help this woman. 
And so he acts kindly. And look at what he does. This is astounding. He, he through his language, he brings her in. He, call, he calls her my daughter. He doesn't say, you Moabite. No, he says, my daughter. It's a tender word. It's inclusive. It's not racial. He commands the men to respect her. I mean, the commentators say this is the first workplace sexual harassment policy. He says, don't touch her. And literally, it says, don't embarrass her. So don't use your words to say, oh, you're just, you're just from that place over there. You're, you're nobody. He provides for her. He gives her lunch. He says, you can get water. You don't, I don't want you to leave my field. And then he goes beyond the law. He's beyond generous is what I want you to see. Because God's law demanded that Boaz just let her be, give her space, leave, leave the corners of the fields okay, let her, let her provide for herself. And the normal way would be harvest your field, but leave some behind. But what happens is Ruth says, I want to get right up there with the harvesters. Will you let me clean the field with you so I can take enough food home? And Boaz says yes. And he doesn't just say that's fine. He says, leave some on the ground for her. Don't collect it all. all right, you've got this big stalk of grain. Leave a few on the ground. Let Ruth go through that. The letter of the law says, be kind to the poor, be, provide for them. Leave 10%, whatever it might be, whatever the percentage might be. But the spirit of the law says, you should feed them. Make their happiness your happiness. And that's what Boaz does. He blesses the amount of grain that Ruth goes home with. It says it's an ephah of grain. and the, It's about, they're guessing, it's 30 to 50 pounds of grain. I mean, one, Ruth has to be a strong lady to carry all this home. But this is about 15 times the amount of grain that a normal worker would get paid for the day. Don't put that in terms of money, because we think in terms of money. All right, if minimum wage is 9 bucks an hour, she made $90 that day. Boaz gave her $90, which is a significant gift. But she went home with 15 times that amount. That's $1,350. That's half a month's salary. That's love. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the outsider. Provide for them. Make your happiness, make their happiness your happiness. You see, not, not only should we notice the outsider, we're called to be beyond generous for them. That, that's the spirit of the law. But Boaz pushes us even further because he, he's hospitable. He doesn't just meet her physical needs, address her physical alienation. He goes after her social needs. See, you look at it, he eats with her. He invites her for lunch because ordinarily Ruth would have had to go out either and not have lunch or go home and prepare it and make bread, which is a long process. And if you want to drink of water, she would have had to leave the field and go find a well somewhere. It's hot. And Boaz says, no, I want you to come and eat a meal with us. And so here you have the rich inviting the poor, a man inviting a woman, the master, the Lord, sitting with a servant, the elderly inviting the younger, the insider inviting the outsider, the Jew eating with the Moabite. I mean, all these barriers have been crossed. 
And in the ancient world, if you ate a meal with somebody, it was more than just social work. It was a sign of friendship and welcome. It was a way of, of saying, you are in. It was hospitality. It was a picture of kindness and saying, I want to care for you more than just throw money at you. Because the normal way of doing things, Ruth would have eaten by herself. Men didn't eat with women. They didn't cross that barrier. And because she was a foreigner, she would have been even further off in the corner. And Boaz says, no, come and eat with the men. Here's a meal. Eat till you're satisfied. There's some left over. And he doesn't stop there. He actually serves her. And it, the language is, is he puts the bread in her hand. I mean, everything Boaz does, I mean, he's exuding compassion, kindness, mercy, generosity. That's why he's called a worthy man. I mean, by inviting Ruth, the outsider, to come eat with them and provide for them, he's saying, you, an outsider, are part of God's community. Let me show you. Are you humbled yet? <laughs> this is the kind of barriers we're called to cross for the sake of the strangers among us. You know, I heard a great example earlier this spring from, from NPR as uh, Mr. Rogers. I shared this example before, but it's too good not to use again. Remember Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? The kids show, Daniel Tiger, his leg legacy lives on. But NPR had a story about Officer Clemens, an African-American police officer. And he was the first black actor to have a recurring uh, role on a t TV series. It's a big deal. But here's what Clemens said, you know, when Mr. Rogers, when Fred Rogers said, I want you to be a police officer, I grew up in the ghetto. I did not have a good opinion of police. They were sicking dogs. I mean, this is the 60s. They were, had water hose against us. I just didn't trust them. But eventually I caved in, and he remembers this one particular day in 1969. It was really hot. And Fred Rogers was just sitting in a kiddie pool, cooling off his feet. Right? Sweater on, uh, <laughs> right? pants rolled up. And he invited Officer Clemens to say, why don't you come and sit with me? And so on TV, this national white icon and a symbol of friendship said, come with me. And this is what Officer Clemens recalls with great emotion. He says, the icon Fred Rogers was not only showing my brown skin in the tub with his white skin as two friends, but as I was getting out of that tub, he was drying my feet. You know, Rogers was an ordained Presbyterian minister. And it's one of the reasons he would end his, his TV show is saying, I like you just the way you are. And that day, he looked at Officer Clemens. And Officer Clemens said, Fred, were you talking to me? He said, Fred, I've been talking to you a long time. And today, you finally heard me. <laughs> it's cross-cultural. The, the insider welcoming in the outsider. And God's word demands that we address the social, the physical needs to give opportunities for the gospel to meet their spiritual needs. You know, 
Because Boaz has a picture of the demands of the law and of grace. God's law says we should love our neighbors like this. Be generous. But he's also a picture of grace because of how kind he is to somebody he wouldn't ordinarily be kind to. And so how do you treat outsiders? Now we can't end there because all I've said is be like Boaz. And this is a Christian sermon. <laughs> so that it's about Jesus. Jesus is the better Boaz. How God welcomes us outsiders to meet our social, physical, and spiritual needs. To address our alienation. We're, we're Ruth. We're the alt- outsider, the vulnerable, the weak, the ones who are in a fallen world just trying to put one foot in front of the other. And what the gospel tells us is that God saw us struggling, trying to put food on the table. He saw us not getting along with one another, hurting one another, ignoring the plight of our neighbor. He saw us as his enemies, spiritually alienated. That I'm more concerned about myself and whether I have food on my table, table than, than the people next to me. And if our treatment of the poor, of the outsiders, is a reflection of, of what we think of God, I'm in trouble. You're in trouble. Because we live in a culture where generosity and charity is optional. I give because it feels good to give, and when it feels good to give, and when I feel like it. But Jesus says, on that last day, on Judgment Day, one of the the tests is going to be, how did you treat the stranger? This is Matthew 25. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Do you hear Jesus saying, I've got the poor's back. That caring for them is not optional. Robert Murray McShane has a haunting little blurb from one of his sermons on this passage where he says, you know, Friends, I'm more worried about you who hearing this, who know you're not Christians because you do not love to give. Because you, you have comfort. You hear the cries of the poor. You hear the cries of the weak. And you just say, that's sad, and stay home. For that kind of love, that kind of care, that kind of concern requires a new heart to give liberally, generally, not grudging, not complaining, to just give and give, give till it hurts, is a good principle. For most of us, most of you, he says, talking to the wealthy in his congregation, would rather bleed than give away your money. So I'm saying, we need a better Boaz. We need somebody who not only notices us, but is going to deal with the fact that God's going to hold us accountable for, for our lack of compassion. And the beauty of God's welcome is He not only provides the meal, but Jesus says, I am the meal. He gives His whole life. It's not just food. He's, he pours out Himself 
on behalf of the hungry, for you, for me, the outsider. We were his enemies outside of faith. And Jesus says, come to me, all you who are thirsty, come and eat. Take, eat, this is my body. It's given for you. Look at the cross. Where Jesus says, your problem is not only physical, it's spiritual. For what good is it to die with a full belly if you aren't right with God? Because what Jesus the better Boaz does, he gives up his reputation. He empties himself. He comes down and he serves us. The Lord comes all the way down below the servant and says, eat with me. And ultimately, he becomes an outsider as he dies on the cross, bearing, a, bearing the wrath we deserve for our sins, treated as a stranger by his God. So that as he was treated as God's enemy, so we as God's enemies could be treated as his family, the outsiders brought in, that we might eat together as we're going to do. Why Paul says, for you know the, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. For though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, that you might become rich. You see, the gospel says, you see that? You see what Christ did, pouring himself out, not holding anything back, not even his blood? Now be generous. Look what he's done for you. It doesn't give you specific commands, how much money, how much time, how much... Uh, emotional effort you should put in. It just says, you must give. For this is true religion, that you care about the fatherless and the widow, says James. Right? Because what Jesus has done is he's addressed your physical needs. He says, you now have a father. He says, you're more valuable than the sparrow. You now are God's child. Of course he will provide for you. And one day he's going to create a world where there are no, there is no hunger. Right? Eternity is going to be kicked off with a feast where he serves us a meal. He addresses your social alienation. He says, now when you feel alone, feel like you don't fit in, you don't go in alone. You go in with God as your friend, carrying his righteousness. God says, you are my own. You've done everything right in Christ, which we know is only a declaration of grace. So friends, as we prepare to come to the table, Ruth and Boaz are showing us we're called to love the stranger. To not just give financially, but to give relationally. To give of ourselves. And it starts in the household of faith. Among one another. Because Ruth was in. She was a believer. And Boaz was helping her feel welcome. First do good to one another, and even do good to those outside of this community. So go and learn what that means, to love the stranger. But do so only knowing you're wrapped in God's love through faith in Christ. Let's pray. Well, Father, as we reflect on the generosity of your, your servant Boaz, it's humbling. We feel uh, under-equipped. We don't know where to start. And I just pray that you would give us eyes to, to, to see one another, to see where there are needs, and to recognize that every good gift we have comes from you and that we wouldn't hold on to it so tightly.
because you are holding on to us tighter than we can imagine. So help us to open our hearts to our neighbors because Christ has done so bleeding out on our behalf. So make us a generous people, Lord, by your grace. Through the power of your spirit, we pray. Amen.